It was during the week of July the 4th, 1997, that I received the call from the pulpit committee of East Berlin Community Church, informing me that I had received a favorable, favorable vote from the congregation and invited me to come as their pastor. Susan and I prayed about it. We talked to our girls about a possible move from Illinois to New Jersey and decided as a family before the Lord that we should accept the call and come here to serve. That decision, uh, though, set in motion a lot of work on our part and other decisions as well. Uh, We owned our home in Pontiac, Illinois. At the time, I was in the process of making some improvements to our kitchen and also the sidewalk to our house. And so those improvements needed to be completed before we could sell our home. And we needed to find a place to live here in New Jersey. And so the first weekend in August, uh, we flew into Philadelphia. We met with a real estate agent in the area and we began our search for our new home. Uh, That weekend, we looked at over 25 different properties. And and, uh, two two and a half days, I guess, of three got in Friday morning, so it was Friday afternoon and Saturday, and we even looked at some on Sunday, before making an offer on our current home. And there were a number of different factors drew us to purchase the one home we did. First of all, it was in a school district, a good school district with a high school about the same size as Pontiac High in Illinois. Elizabeth, our oldest at the time, was entering her junior year. Abigail was going into eighth grade, and we did not want them to be overwhelmed uh, by a huge Uh, classes, but in class size similar to what they were accustomed to, a school that was similar in size. Secondly, we wanted a house that was in move-in condition, that needed little to be fixed or repaired. We had bought a fixer-upper in Pontiac, the worst house that was on the block, and had spent years remodeling it before we sold it. And we made out on the selling of our home, recouped our cost and more, and thus we could look for a home in good repair. I wanted a house that had good bones. Uh, uh, in other words, uh, having worked construction uh, as one of my summer jobs through college, I knew what quality construction looked like. Much can be hidden with cosmetics, coat of paint, uh, new carpet, the you know, whole thing. Uh, but I knew what to look for in a home. I wanted one that had a furnace or a boiler that was in good condition, electrical service that was adequate. The house was built on 16-inch centers. Um, the joists and everything, the beams were right. And I wanted, uh, the roof had to be in great shape as well. Many of the homes that we looked at, the 25 homes uh, that weekend, were in need of major repairs and that had to be done, or had they had done cosmetic treatments so that the flaws could be hidden. Thirdly, we needed a house that would be vacant. Be vacant for us to move right in. So many of the homes we looked at that weekend were contingent sales. 
By that I meant the contingency was that the owner wanted to stay in their homes until the the sale uh, after the sale until they could find another place to live. Some wanted ninety days. There was one I remember wanted six months. They wanted to stay in their home for six months before we could move in. Now, I certainly didn't want to move my family from Illinois here, rent an apartment for 90 days or six months until the current occupants moved out. I wanted to move in the day that we closed on the property. And lastly, we looked for a house within a five-mile radius of the church uh, as we wanted to be close enough to be part of this community. Until we prayed and asked for God's direction, and we believed that the Lord led us to put an offer on our present house in Laurel Springs. It checked all the boxes. It was located in Sterling High School District, and Sterling High was the same size as Pontiac High. The home was in move-in condition, with good bones. It was five miles from the church, but most importantly, it was vacant. It was vacant so we could move right in after the closing. The previous owner had been had worked for UPS and was transferred to Baltimore. And a relocation company bought the house and it had been vacant for over a year. And so it was when we made the offer to them, and we actually offered them, I think, $25,000 less than their asking price, they immediately accepted it. And we were able, that was the first weekend in August of 1997. Well, we went back to Pontiac. Next weekend, we sold our house. One, one day, sold the house. And we did it ourselves. We didn't even have to use a real estate broker to do so. So we were able to recoup that money. Uh, we told our real estate agent here in New Jersey that we wanted to move the first week in September so that our girls would not be too far behind the opening of the school year. Back then, I guess even now, schools around here open after Labor Day. And so uh, we wanted to be here that first week in September. He told us that's impossible. That's impossible. He said no one gets a mortgage approved and, and title search done and all the paperwork here in New Jersey that it takes 60 days or more to do all the paperwork involved in buying a home. Well, we closed the first week in September. In fact, our Jewish uh, real estate agent, he's a short little guy, he said at the closing, kept saying over again, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. He says, nobody buys a home as quickly as you did. And we were able to say to him that day that God wants us here in Jersey and he has provided he opened the door. We closed on Friday. The moving van arrived on Saturday. We moved right into our home, and we've been there ever since. The girls went to school that Monday, started back to school. Now, while we bought the house, technically, it was not ours fully because the mortgage company owned half of it at the time. Uh, but within 10 years, it was completely paid, and we now have a clear title to the land and the property. Unfortunately, we must continue to pay over $600 in rent. I mean, taxes every month uh, to stay in that house. But the property is now ours. 
See, our closing went without a hitch. The title was transferred from the former owner to us. But I know that others have not been as fortunate because there are horror stories that people tell about their closing on their homes. Sellers backing out at the last minute of the contract and refusing to sell, or financing falling through at the last moment, liens showing up on the title search that needed to be resolved, occupants who refused to vacate the property, squatters who had, to t- had taken up residence, and the home that needed to be evicted. For some, it is months and even longer before they can take possession of that which they bought. In some cases, even legal actions has to be brought against squatters who refuse to leave, and the law needs to be brought in and called in to evict those who refuse to go. And it can be quite frustrating. Now this morning... We are going to attend a closing, a transfer of ownership from one to another, not here on earth, but in the throne room of heaven. I ask you to turn to Revelation 1, but please turn over to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, and I'd like to begin reading at verse 1. Revelation 5, beginning at verse 1. He says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I say to a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Now, as I begin, as we're going to uncover this scene in heaven in Revelation chapter 5, I want to begin by considering when. When does this happen? When does this scene take place in heaven? And I want to do so by considering it within the context of the whole book of Revelation. Revelation 1 begins with John receiving a vision of the resurrected Lord. He writes in verse 12, if you turn over to chapter 1, verse 12, he writes this, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead." But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I live forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, without going into too much detail, what John sees here is a vision of Jesus Christ. He is clothed in high priestly garments. 
Now we know that Jesus Christ is our high priest. After he ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And so today he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding, and he's also the head of the church. He is the head of the church, the chief shepherd. For as it's the description here, the seven stars in his right hand and, as, and the seven golden lampstands, they're described as the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And so his role today is that of being the head of the church. He's directing the affairs of the church today. And that is illustrated in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where Jesus Christ writes seven letters to seven historical churches in Asia Minor, in which he informs them that he knows exactly what's happening in their churches. Jesus Christ knows exactly what's happening at East Berlin Community Church. He knows exactly what's happening in each of the churches that are his. And he, so he knows what's happening. He not only sees the good that they're doing, the circumstances on, under which they're ministering, but also the problems that exist where they had gone astray. And some he commends, and others he reprimands and corrects. But he's promised to all who overcome, who are faithful to him, he's promised them special blessings. So Jesus Christ, he is currently not only our great high priest, and we come to him in prayer, but he's our Lord over the church. He is Lord over life itself, because he holds the keys of Hades and death. Now, Revelation chapter 4 begins with these words. Revelation 4, verse 1. He says, after these things... I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And so John is instantaneously transported to heaven. And from here on, he's going to view what's going to be happening here on earth from a heavenly perch. Now, his transportation to heaven, I believe, foreshadows the rapture of the church. When we as believers in Christ are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and will forever be with the Lord. So in chapter 4, John is privy to a vision of God the Father sitting on his throne and the four living creatures, angelic beings extolling God's holiness and eternality and the gathered saints, the elders falling down and casting their crowns before the Lord and exclaiming, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Now the scene of chapter 5. Revelation 5, therefore, occurs after the rapture of the church, for John and the gathered saints are in heaven, but it's before the beginning of the tribulation period. 
Now, in our study together, we looked at God's 490-year plan for spiritually preparing the Jewish people to receive their Messiah and his kingdom. We noted that we are now in the intermission period between the 69th and 70th week, or 483 years of the plan have already taken place. The clock has stopped. And during this intermission period in which we're living, the Messiah was cut off, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, the city would be under Gentile domination. During this intermission, Jesus Christ would spend his time building his church, made up of believing Jews and Gentiles. The Jews would eventually return to the land of Israel in unbelief, devoid of spiritual life, but a nation would be born. The nation of Israel. Sometime during this intermission, the rapture of the church is going to take place and we will be forever with the Lord. And after the rapture of the church, as I, when the West is weak, I believe that Russia and her Islamic allies will seek to invade Israel to destroy the Jewish people and nation. But as we saw last week, God's going to intervene and save them, destroying the invading forces and weakening their nations. And this, I believe, is going to allow the Jews to build the third temple on the Temple Mount without starting World War III. And after the rapture of the church and before the tribulation, the West or the revived Roman Empire is going to grow stronger and out of a ten-leader group will rise the Antichrist, who will take over the West. He will make a contract or a covenant with many in the Israel to provide them with protection and prosperity. And from Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, when the Antichrist enters into this covenant with Israel, God's time clock is going to start again. And the events of the 70th week, or the last seven years, are going to take place. And so God's going to finish preparing the Jewish people for their coming Messiah and his kingdom. Now that's from a human perspective. From a human perspective, then the signing of the covenant between the Antichrist and Israel begins the seven-year tribulation period. But from God's perspective, the tribulation begins with the closing event that's recorded here in Revelation chapter 5. In fact, I believe the key to understanding the book of Revelation in many ways is this heavenly scene recorded here in this chapter. So what happens at this closing? Well, one of the things that happens is that there's a scroll Let's begin by considering the identity of the scroll. What is the scroll? Well, note what verse 1 says, Revelation 5, verse 1. He says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now in his vision, John sees, says in the right hand of him sat on the throne, that is on God himself, there was a scroll written Inside and on the back, it was sealed with seven seals. Scrolls or folded sheets were sealed with a wax blob that was impressed with a signet ring to protect the content or to guarantee the integrity of the writings. In other words, you know, if the seal is broken, you don't buy it. You know, if you get something from a store, if the seal is broken, you don't buy it because it's been compromised. And so this is a way of making sure that the document was not 
compromised. Only the owner could open the seals and disclose the content. Original documents were usually sealed and then hidden, and then there were copies that were made, and they were not sealed, and they were opened for the public to read. Now, Romans' wills were sealed up with seven seals, each of which bore a different name of the sealer and could only be opened by him. But this scroll, I believe, is more than a will. I think it's part of that. That's partly where it contains a deed or a contract. This kind of contract was known all over the Middle East from the time of Nero on. The full contract will be written on the inner pages and sealed with seven seals. Then the content of the contract would be briefly described on the outside. All kinds of transactions were consummated this way, including marriage contracts, rental and lease agreements, release of slaves, contract bills, and bonds. Now the Hebrews or the Jews had a similar custom. The Hebrew document most resembling the scroll was the title deed to a property. It was folded and signed and had to be witnessed by at least three witnesses. A portion of the text would be written, it would be folded over, and then sealed with a different witness signing at each of the folds. Now Jeremiah 32 provides a good illustration of the use of such a document. Shortly before the fall of Jerusalem, Jeremiah's cousin, Hanamel, approached him about buying the plot of land that belonged to Hanamel's family. Jeremiah, in obedience to God's command, purchased the field in spite of its potential loss because Jeremiah knew, because God had told him that the Babylonians are going to come and take Jerusalem. And so he signed it even though he knew that that because of the Babylonian captivity, it would not be permanent. Jeremiah 32 records the details of the purchase. He says, So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which is sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in the land. So I believe that the scroll, the scroll that John saw in God's hand, is the title deed. It is the title deed to the earth. Whoever possesses this title deed will have a right to rule over creation and over all people's groups and over all nations. Right now it's in the Father's hands, but one day it's going to be given to someone else. But who? Who's worthy to take the scroll? And so there is a search to find someone who's worthy. 
Note what our text says, beginning of verse 2, Revelation 5. He says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept, not because no one was found worthy to open the sp- and, and read the scroll or to look at it. Now, at the, as the echo of the strong angel's voice receded, there was silence. There was silence. No one came forward. The powerful angel, archangel Michael and Gabriel, they didn't come forward. All the righteous dead of all the ages, including Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Job, David, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Peter, and Paul, and the rest of the apostles and all the church assembled, saints assembled there, including you and I. We all say nothing. For no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth are worthy to open the scroll and to look inside. Overwhelmed with grief and dismay at no suitable candidate, John breaks down and he cries. He weeps. A word which expresses strong, unrestrained emotion. By the way, this is the only time the tears are seen in heaven. Only time. The book of Revelation. John wept. He wept because he wanted to see the world rid of evil, sin, and death. He wanted to see Satan vanquished and God's kingdom established here on earth. He he wept because he wanted to see Israel saved and Christ exalted. John knew that the Messiah had been executed, that Jerusalem had been destroyed, the Jewish people had been scattered. He was well aware that the church had faced intense persecution and that it was now infected by sin. And that things, from his perspective, everything was gone badly. Was there no one worthy to take the scroll, to open it, and take back God's creation and the world? Now John's crying was premature, for the search is successful. For note what our text says, beginning of verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. No angelic being or no human being can redeem the universe, but there is one who can. And that person, of course, is the glorified, exalted Lord Jesus Christ, who is here identified by two of his messianic titles. He is, first of all, the lion from the tribe of Judah. The lion from the tribe of Judah. You know, centuries before Jacob in blessing his son said, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. One of the lion-like, one of the lion-like tribe of Judah would come, out of that lion-like tribe of Judah would come a strong, fierce ruler. The scepter, 
the, the, the sign of rule of, 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 of a king would not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, a reference to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and he would command the obedience of the people. But the one worthy to open the sealed document would not only be from the tribe of Judah, but also from the root or the descendant of David. The messianic title is derived from Isaiah 11 verse 1 where it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of the root. And so Jesus Christ could trace his, his ancestry from both sides of the family through David. And he was frequently called in the Gospels, the son of David. He's the son of David. See, Jesus is the only one that's worthy. He is the only one worthy to take the scrolls because of who he is, the rightful king from David's lineage, what he is, the lion from the Judas tribe, and because of what he has done. The text says that he has prevailed. He has prevailed. By his death on the cross, he defeated sin. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He not only defeated sin, but he also had the one, had also defeated the one who had the power of death, the devil himself. The writer of Hebrews says, Inasmuch then as the children have been partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Death has lost its sting. Sin has been taken care of. Death has lost its sting. So have all the forces of hell. For Colossians 2, verse 15 states, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them all in it. Now as John, now as John was looking at this incredible scene, what an incredible scene it must have been there in heaven. The glowing, blazing reflection of God's glory surrounding the throne of God, the emerald-like rainbow surrounding his throne, the 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones, the lightning, the thunder, the voices, the four living creatures, the pavement around the throne that was made of glass like crystal. While he was looking at all of this, and he was seeing the one who in his right hand had the scroll and after in the hearing of the description of the one who is worthy, the line of Judah, the root of David, the one who has prevailed, John probably expected to see a mighty lion or an all-conquering king, Davidic king. But what does he see? Verse 6. It says, And I looked, and behold... And in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. A lamb. As though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. John saw a lamb. And this is a little lamb. It's a diminutive in the Greek. It is a small lamb. John had earlier saw on the day when Jesus came uh, there in, in, on earth, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He saw the one of whom Isaiah spoke, the one who was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He saw a lamb. In fact, 31 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is described as the lamb, the lamb of God. Now, this was no ordinary lamb. For he is standing on his feet, even though it appeared that he had been slain. The scars of his deadly wound uh, that he had received are still visible, yet he is alive. And while at first glance he does not appear to be a good match against the dragon or the Antichrist or even human soldiers, yet this lamb is more than a willing sacrificial offering for sin because he's also the Lion of Judah and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now note also that this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Horns in scripture symbolize strength and power. Seven, which is the number of perfection, symbolizes the Lord's complete, absolute power. As the psalmist exclaimed, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. God is strong. And Jesus Christ, although he's a lamb, a little lamb, he has magnificent strength. And he not only has seven horns, but also seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, the seven spirits doesn't mean that there are seven holy spirits. But the seven spirits of God describes the spirit of God, the one spirit of God, in all of his fullness. In all of his fullness. Concerning the branch, the root of David, the stem from Jesse, Isaiah 11 verse 2, states that the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The sevenfold spirit of God. Now Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the offspring of David is the only one. He is the only one in heaven, on earth, under the earth, any place that you go. He is the only one who is worthy to take the scroll from his father's hand. No one else has the right to do so. No one else has the right to take the title deed of the earth to redeem God's creation and to establish God's rule here on earth. No one else. And so verse 7 of our text says, Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He took the scroll. The ancient, original ancient language conveys a dramatic action in the tense of the verb took. In other words, he took He came, he took it, and now he has it. It's his. He has received from his father the scroll. He has closed the deal. The earth is his. And so this title deed guarantees. It guarantees, I believe, that Jesus Christ is going to receive the inheritance that was promised to him from his father. Now, what is the inheritance that Jesus was promised? Psalm 2, verse 7 records, The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. 
and the ends of the earth for your possessions. The nations of the world, the ends of the earth, that's his inheritance. And in a parallel account describing the same scene, but without the scroll, Daniel records in Daniel 7 verse 13, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. See, Jesus Christ is given the kingdoms. He's given the kingdoms of the world, and he's given a kingdom over which he will rule. All peoples, nations, and language groups will one day serve him. And unlike the Gentile nations that dominated the world now, his kingdom will never be destroyed. And so on this day in heaven, Revelation chapter 5, before the tribulation even begins, the closing day, Jesus receives the kingdom. However, there's a problem. The snafu, I called it in my notes. Because unlike the closing in our house that went off without a hitch and we were able to take immediate possession of our house and move right in, Jesus is unable to take immediate possessions of the kingdoms of this world. For right now, currently, the world lies in the hands of a usurper, a squatter, and he's the evil one. Satan has been given authority over the kingdoms of this world, and mankind has given their allegiance to him. He today is the god of this age. He's the god of this world. He exercises power and control over principalities and powers, over spiritual darkness in high places. He is behind the scenes controlling the affairs of nations today and will do so in the future through his man, the Antichrist. The kingdoms of this world belong to him, or so he thinks. You remember on one occasion he tempted Jesus. And he offered to Jesus his inheritance early. He said, all you have to do is bow down and you can be yours. I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. Jesus said no to the offer, willing rather to wait for his right time, the closing day, when he would receive the kingdoms of this world from his Father. So the title deed not only describes, not this, contains a description of Jesus' inheritance, but I believe that it lays out a blueprint, a step-by-step plan on how God the Father and Jesus Christ is going to evict the squatters and his followers, the nations, who refused to submit to God's rule over them. And so, as Jesus opens this sealed scroll, one by one, he begins to reclaim what is rightfully his. When the seventh seal is opened in Revelation chapter 8, it appears that the scroll will be fully opened at that point, but the seventh seal contains seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments. And as the seventh judge trumpet contains, um, sounded, it contains even more judgments, the bold judgments that are poured out in rapid succession right at the end of the tribulation. But with the seventh trumpet comes this announcement. It says in Revelation 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, And there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world 
have become now the kingdom of Christ. He takes full possession of his inheritance at this point. Jesus Christ is going to return again, this time to meet the Antichrist and the nations of the world gathered at Armageddon. It will be the shortest battle in history. Jesus will only have to speak a word. That's it. And, and he will defeat and judge the Antichrist, will judge the living on the earth. He's going to take the throne. He's going to establish his kingdom here on earth, a 1,000-year reign of Christ on the throne of David. The kingdom will be finally his, but only after severe judgment here on earth. And so all of history is moving towards this grand climax, the kingdom of God here on earth. And my friends, that's what the book of Revelation is about. That's what the book of Revelation is about. It's about Christ coming to inherit the kingdom. And it begins right here, Revelation 5, on closing day. When Jesus Christ receives the scroll from his Father, the promised inheritance of the kingdom of this world, and the blueprint on how he's going to evict those that are squatting today and claim what is rightfully his. Now, what should be our response to all of this? I know no better response than the songs resounding through the corridors of heaven. According to Revelation 5, verse 9, the four living creatures and the 24 elders sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. They were joined by the voices of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. The numbers of them were 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And adding to their voices were every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and are in the sea and all that is, are in them, saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. To all of this the four living creatures respond, Amen. And may I say, all I can say this morning is, Amen. So be it, Lord. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even so come, Lord Jesus. God has a plan. Of course he does. He's the master planner. He has a 490-year plan that is on hold right now to prepare the Jewish people and nation to receive their Messiah in the kingdom here on earth. He has a revealed plan for the Gentile nations too. Four major Gentile world powers, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and the last being Rome. Much of that plan is now history, but the last Gentile world power, Rome, lives on in the West. And one day out of the West will emerge a world ruler of the Antichrist who will make a covenant with Israel which will restart God's 490-year plan for the Jews. He will play a major role in the seven-year period known as tribulation. God also has a plan for the church, the body of believing Gentiles and Jews being assembled right now by Jesus Christ. And one day, it could be today before the tribulation begins, he's going to come back for us, return for his bride, the church, and take us to the Father's house for the wedding. 
We will be rewarded for the work we've done for Christ while here on earth, and we will be forever with the Lord. That's God's plan for our future. But may I say, God also has a plan for the people who will be remaining here on earth during the tribulation. His plan is contained in the seven-sealed scroll that Jesus took. The blueprint on how Jesus Christ will reclaim what is rightfully his, defeat the enemy, kick out the squatters, set up his kingdom right here on earth. Lord willing, in the coming Sundays, we will see the measures that Jesus needs to take to establish his rule here on earth.